<laughs> Good morning, Reach Church. All right. Well done. Thank you, Randy, for putting up with all that. <laughs> and Christine and everyone. Yeah. Uh, if kids want to head to Reach Kids, they can head out. All right. We're not sure. All right. Cool. <laughs> all right. So, uh, just like last week, we are in between uh, series right now, so we're talking about kind of some random, hopefully kind of more practical things, and today, uh, we'll see how practical it is. Uh, hopefully, it's not too practical, but uh, then again, we're talking about fighting. We are talking about fighting, uh, and not in the sense of like this large-scale spiritual warfare kind of thing, like when you're fighting with the person next to you, what does it look like to fight as a Christian? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What are you aiming for? What does it look like to fight and fight well? Now, this is relevant to all of you, uh, whether you want to admit it or not. All right, you all fight with someone. Uh, I know you do. You might call it something different. I don't care what you call it. I don't care if you call it a spat or a, a difference of opinions or, you know, just a little bit of tension. All right, it's fighting. It's fighting. It's all in the same category, and we all do it poorly. Now, we all do it differently, but uh, just because you're cordial doesn't mean you're, you're not fighting. Just because uh, you didn't yell at the person doesn't mean you're not fighting and not fighting well. Uh, now, some of you, we all have different patterns. Some of you will like just go off the handle and start screaming. All right. Not a good technique for fighting. All right, others of you, others of you will be like the passive-aggressive that when you're making them a turkey sandwich the next day, you like messily put on the mayo. All right, bad fighting. All right, some of you, uh, the like pretending that everything's fine as you're like brooding until there's this crazy explosion that happens. Uh, some just like treat it like it's nothing and you just go through and... and both of you are wondering if, if everything's okay, nothing was really resolved. Uh, some do the like hounding, badgering, I'm going to make them say they're sorry and then I'll, then I'll forgive them, but until then, like, I'm going to be on them. All right, there's all kinds of different techniques here. None of these are that positive. All right, so uh, we're going to establish kind of some, some ground rules. What are we really trying to do when we fight with each other? And we're going to look at three things, uh, unsurprised about that. Three things. First, you are not called to fight for your desires. You are called to fight your desires themselves. That's what a fight is about. It's fighting your desires. Fighting sinful desires. Second, how you fight is not about what the person owes you. It's about what you owe God. That that's, what, that's what should be in your mind. Not what, what they owe you, but what you owe God. And finally, Every fight should end with the gospel. Every fight should end with nothing but Jesus, with real forgiveness and restoration. So we're going to talk about our desires, what we owe to one another, and finally the gospel of Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's read James 4, verses 1 through 10. You should probably open your Bibles. That'd probably be a safer bet today. <laughs> Now, James 4 is on uh, 1,012, if you're looking for it, in those black Bibles. 
James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he gives us power to do the things that would be impossible without him. And Father, we ask that you would give us a real understanding of our hearts. And would you, would you wake us up to the reality of how we interact in relationships? Father, we long for Jesus to be lifted up, for the gospel to be clear in our relationships, for the love of Christ to be uh, bestowed to others. So Father, would you change the way that we fight? Would you help us to, um, to be humble and to be honest? That yes, we sin, and yes, we desperately need forgiveness, but it is found in Christ, and we can, we can receive it and give it to others. Father, work in us by your Spirit. Shape our hearts that they may love Jesus more. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right. So the first principle here, the first principle is we are not supposed to be fighting for our desires. We are supposed to be fighting our desires themselves. We get this from 4.1. All right, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What is behind every fight? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? All right, this is where he, instead of saying, you know, it's about the other person, he's saying, actually, the cause for that fight is within you. It's in your heart. Your heart is the problem. Your passions are at war. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. All right, so what we're saying here is that there is a, a war going on, and it's a war between competing desires of sinful people. And every fight is you basically like recruiting your army to go plunder the other person's life for everything that you want, to fulfill your desires. That's what a fight is. Now, this can look a million different ways. It can look as stupid and as simple as like, you know what, I want pizza tonight, you want, you want tacos tonight, and suddenly like we are at war with that. We are bringing those desires to the table, and we're not on, not on board. All right, and then it gets, it gets deeper, and it gets more, more interwoven with who we really are, and we start to say things like, well, 
in that conversation, like, I, I wanted encouragement. And I wanted support. And instead, like, you made me feel like an idiot. Or I, I just wanted to be respected and I wanted to, to have my comfort. Why would, you, why would you draw me into all of this? And we start to see that there are competing desires between two sinful people. And we're both fighting for what we want. Fighting for what oftentimes we think we deserve. And the reality of this passage is that these desires that we think are maybe neutral, like I want pizza, or positive, like I, I, should, I should get encouragement, I should get love, I should get support and respect and help, that these things are not innocent. In fact, they're not righteous. They are sinful desires. That they are covetousness. That they are idols. That they are gods that we have lifted up and we've said, you know what? I'm now serving this God, and I demand that you help me serve this God too. Now, how do we know? How do we know that that's an idol? Maybe, maybe it's a good thing. And we're saying, you know, I, I, I want help with the dishes. Like, oh, I should get help with the dishes. What's so bad about that? All right, how do you know it's an idol? How do you know it's sick? How do you know it's broken? Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of this God that you're serving. If you're serving the real God, then your fruit is going to be gentle and patient and kind. And you hold it loosely. All right, but if this thing is an idol, if it is something that's become corrupt, it's going to, it's going to be evident. And it's going to lead to, to anger and frustration and passive aggressiveness and, and all of these petty things. And that's where the reality is, if you're willing to fight for it, and you're willing to attack this other person, if you're willing to, to yell at them or manipulate them, all right, it is an idol. It is a sinful desire. It's, it's gotten out of place. And that's where at no point in the midst of the fight can we say, you know, I'm, I'm just fighting for righteousness sake. You really aren't. The proof is in the pudding here. You can tell how you're fighting, what, what it really means to you. And he's showing us that, you know, it's in, it's in the wrong place. It's a false god. And a bad fight is basically two people bringing their sinful desires to the table and battling it out. All right. Are we surprised that that happens? No. No, we're not surprised that that happens. All right. Look at the person next to you. All right, they're a sinner. They're a sinner just like you are. They have evil desires. And sometimes your evil desires don't match. Now, some people who think they have amazing marriages, uh, they have just as many sinful desires, but their sinful desires just like sync up better. All right, so you have the wife, and she's saying, you're like, you know what I want to do today? I want to be materialistic. And I want to, I want to, like, I want to enjoy the world, so I'm going to go shopping for five hours. And the husband, he says, you know what, I don't like my wife that much. And I would like five hours away from her. So, like, I'm so glad she's going shopping. <laughs> and, like, they get along great. All right. <laughs> That's the reality of, like, most of the time we are driven by sinful desires. And the fight is just when they happen to compete. All right, we are not shocked that this happens. We just have to know, okay, what do we do when they do compete with each other? What are we trying to do here? 
Uh, and some of, you, some of you should be fighting less. Some of you should be fighting more because you're not really fighting the sin in the other person. You're not, you're not encountering the reality of sin and attacking it. All right, but there's, there's a switch that needs to happen here. The switch is two people who are fighting for their desires need to bring those desires to the table, lay them down, and then those two people need to start attacking the desires themselves. And belittling the desires, showing the desires what they really are, tearing them apart. All right, that's where the reality is, that in the back of every fight, there's this like creepy little person, sin, whispering into your ear. And, and, and trying to convince you that like, no, that person, that person's trying to kill you. That person's trying to attack you. They're trying to take everything that you want. And the reality is, who's the real enemy here? It's the sin. It's the sin behind the argument. It's the sin that, that's poisoning the relationship. It's the sin that's making you selfish and, and willing to destroy the other person to get what you want. Now, how do you turn and, and stop fighting with the other person for what you desire? How do you get the desire on the table? All right, you have to be honest with what, what, what's in your own heart. And it's incredibly hard to do, and it's incredibly painful, and it's incredibly humbling, but that's the only way to do it. And you are the only one who can bring it there. Now, you know in that point in, in, in the argument where you start to realize, like, oh, I might be the jerk here. And I started to see that, like, what I want, like, I'm, it's, it's not what God wants. It's not what's best for the person. It's what's best for me. Or it's that reality that you have to then put on the table. And you say, you know what? I really wanted pizza, and I didn't ask you to ask if you wanted pizza. I was telling you that I wanted pizza, and you told you gave me the wrong answer. It's the reality of saying, like, you know what? When I came home, I wanted to put my feet up and watch TV and eat food, and I didn't want to talk to you. And that when I didn't get what I want, I, I snapped. It's being honest about the sin that's in your heart and laying it right there. It's in saying, like, you know, when you said that to me, like, my heart took it as you were attacking me, you were belittling me, you, you made me feel less than, less than what I want to feel, and so I, I attacked back. Now, when that happens, then we have something to really work with, because now we have a common enemy. We have the common enemy of, these, of the sin in our hearts. And when both of you can say, you know what, yeah, let's lay down our idols and let's tear them apart together, that's a real fight. Now you're saying, okay, well, Peter, that seems like a great way to lose a fight. <laughs> if I just say, like, yeah, no, I was sinful and selfish, and so I probably shouldn't get what I want. Uh, the reality is, if you're fighting, you are already losing the battle. That even if you win the fight with the person next to you, like, sin will really have won the battle. Sin will have won the fight. And until, until you get the, the focus on the sin itself and tear that apart, you are just going to lose. 
Don't fight for the things you desire. Fight the desires themselves. Now, uh, you may be thinking, okay, that's, that sounds good, but like, what about me? What about like, this person isn't helping me. They're not, they're not helping me with the dishes. They need to, do, they need to help me, and I, I do want that. And so I don't want to kill that desire. Or maybe you're thinking, like, I feel like I'm, I'm desperate for encouragement, and they're not giving it to me. And if I, if I just, if I kill that desire, I'll never get what I want. All right, that's legitimate. And that's where we, we need this second principle that ultimately, in the fight, it's not about trying to get what that other person owes you. It's about giving God what you owe him. All right, that's the switch. It's not about getting from them what they owe you. It's about giving God what you owe him. Now, what do we mean by this? All right, the reality is we, we don't think, we, we are entitled people. And when we, when we holistically look at our lives and we look at the people, especially the ones we love, we look at the things that we do to them and we think, well, okay, they, they should owe me those same things. They should owe me a certain amount of respect, a certain amount of love. They should help me a certain amount. And, and I am entitled to that. And when I don't get it, I deserve to go fight for it. To get what is due. And what, what Paul is trying to get at here, no, James is trying to get at, sorry, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, what James is trying to get at here is saying like, you know what, the larger question is, not what, what do you deserve, it is what does God deserve? What does God deserve in the midst of this fight? It's not about you and that person. Ultimately, it's about you and God. And look at verse 4. He's saying, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose, the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? All right, so what is James getting at here? He's basically saying, all right, in creating this idol and fighting for it, you're not fighting for what you deserve. You're actually robbing God. And you're choosing to love God more than you, or uh, love this idol more than you love God. That you're committing adultery. That you're abandoning your first love and you're running after friendship with the world or friendship with evil. And he's saying, you know what? There's kind of two possible injustices here. The first injustice is, is you don't get what you deserve from this person. But the real injustice is if God doesn't get what you owe him. As you stand before God, you, you've received everything from him. Life eternal grace and forgiveness, that you've received the very breath in your lungs, everything that you have is a gift from him. And the question is, oh, wait, what, what does he deserve? Is it, worth, is it worth fighting for this thing and, and failing to love God and honor him and obey him? Because that is the trade-off. We owe him 
our faithfulness. We owe him our devotion. We owe him our love. And then we owe him whatever he asks of us before the other person that we're fighting with. And we say, okay, God, what do I owe you in the midst of this fight, in the midst of this disagreement? And it gets very practical. All right, first, first, you are called to be slow to speak and quick to listen. These are just general commandments. You are called to give that to the other person, not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. And so in the midst of the fight, the question is not, when are they going to stop talking so that I can talk now? You're actually called to listen to them and hear them. And, and maybe, maybe you might hear something you didn't understand before and you didn't know their perspective and they're actually going to give it to you because you actually listen and it actually changes the argument. Slow to speak and quick to listen. All right, you are called to love the person as you would want to be loved. Which means being patient, being long-suffering, being gentle and kind. You owe them that because God calls you to it. All right, you owe God assuming the best about the person. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how, how God or how, how love believes all things and trusts all things. And that's where the, the, thing, the thing that we like to do is we like to tell people what their heart is. And we say, you know, I, I know why you did that. I don't want to hear. I, I, I want to tell you. All right, no, you assume the best about the person. And you actually let them speak and you say, oh, wait, I, want to, I want to hear where you're coming from. I want to hear your desires. I want to hear what you're battling with. I want to assume that you're not just a jerk that hates me. All right, you owe them. You owe them humility and repentance and confession because you're called to that by God. That if they lay their sin on the table, you should be looking hard at your own heart and saying, okay, what can I lay on the table too? All right, too often you have one humble person who's saying like, oh yeah, here's, here's my sin, like, will you forgive me? And you're like, yeah, you, you screwed up. All right, no, you, you owe that to them too. You're, you're searching your heart. All right, what can, I, what can I confess? What can I ask for forgiveness for? And finally, in the, in the 0.1% of arguments where it's one-sided and you did nothing wrong, you still owe them forgiveness and grace and mercy. All right, that is, that is heavy stuff. But that, that is the reality of where we stand before God. And we have a choice that we can fight for what we deserve or we can give God what he deserves, what he's called us to. Now that's where we, uh, we have a dilemma then. How do we get what we want? How do we get what we want if we're not allowed to fight for it? If we're not allowed to manipulate or, or cajole people into doing it, how do we get it? All right, it's kind of simple. The second half of verse 2, you ask for it. You ask for it. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, this is commonly linked to God, that you should, you should be praying and asking 
but the same principle applies horizontally as vertically. That we're actually called to ask for things. And that people don't owe us things, and we don't demand things, we don't manipulate people to get things, we ask for them. And we ask people that we love, like, this is an opportunity to love me, like, can we do pizza tonight? Stupid example, like, I need rest, can, can, you, can you give me that? And the reality is, they can say yes. They can freely say yes, or they can say no. And maybe that's where, maybe they're saying no because you are spending it on your own passions, that you, you are being selfish and they're calling you out on it. Or maybe they say no because, because they're, they're sinful and they're struggling and you guys need to talk and put, put more sin on the table. Maybe after all that, they're, you're going to rebuke them and say, you know what, I think you are called to this. And I owe God showing you your sin. That's a, that's a category too. That's the reality of where sometimes we can be too gentle and, and not really fight the sin that's there. Now, maybe it looks like just having a, having a larger discussion and saying, you know what, we can get pizza and tacos. It's fine. Let's just work this out. But we've gotten our sin on the table, and we can deal with the reality of it. All right. This sounds good until you start to try to do it. Uh, and it gets really complicated, and you realize you don't actually want to anymore. All right, that is, where, that is where desperately we don't just say, okay, what do you owe God? The reality is, okay, what has God given you in the fight with him? The reality is we are all fighting with God each and every day. We are at war with him. We have all of these desires. We have all these things we owe him. And what do we do? We, we commit adultery. We are friends with the world. We lift up these idols and these desires, and we are struggling and how does God treat us? How does he address us in the midst of the fight? Verse 6. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All right, what is this really saying? This is saying that the reality is in this fight with God, he is not demanding what is owed to him. If God decided that, you know what, he's, he's not going to let, let us off the hook for anything, we'd be doomed. But the reality is he gives grace. And he's saying, you know what, all that I ask of you is, is that you humble yourself and repent and ask for forgiveness. That I'm not going to make you pay for it, I'm not going to judge you, I'm not going to destroy you. That I'll, I'll actually take all of that upon myself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all of the burden, he took all of the guilt and the shame and the judgment so that we could actually be forgiven And it's that, that lavishing of grace that gives us power to fight well. 
that he's lavished grace upon us, that we don't get what we deserve. We get an abundance and lavish, beautiful, overwhelming grace. Now, how does that help us? First, first, it, it humbles us when we realize that, you know what? How can we demand to, the things that we are owed from other people when, when God has poured out his grace upon us? All right, we are not fighting for these things. He doesn't owe, like, when I've given all of the promises or yes and amen in Christ, why am I fighting for this one thing from this person? All right, I can let it go. All right, when we see the grace of Jesus and we say, okay, that, that the lavish riches of grace are upon us, you know, I can kill those desires. I'm not in love with the world. I'm in love with Christ. I'm not looking for this world to get everything that's due me. I'm looking to my heavenly reality because I know that I will be exalted if I am humbled. Grace gives us the ability to actually admit our sins because you're not going to be judged for them. You're not going to be destroyed for them. There's forgiveness for them. All right, too often we Christians act like we have no sin because we don't know what to do with it. We know what to do with it. We give it to the cross. We get forgiveness for it. Now, if we can do that with, with God, our Savior, we should be able to do it with one another. You can put your sin out there. And finally, and this I think is the most important, that grace gives us the ability to actually reconcile with one another. The gospel must be at the end of every single fight. That this grace, there ought to be more grace every time you fight. That you actually give grace to one another. And that's where, okay, too many fights... Whoa, I'm changing. <laughs> uh, too many fights end with, essentially, like, maybe this quick, like, I'm sorry and sweep it under the rug. There's no, there's no transaction there. It's kind of just like a, yeah, I feel kind of guilty about it. We'll move on. Or the fight ends with, well, we haven't talk, spoke, like, spoken to each other in two days, and... This is just getting kind of inconvenient, so we're just going to slowly kind of move towards each other. But nothing was really reconciled. There's no sin that was, was paid for. Maybe it looks like you dragged the forgiveness out of someone, but it wasn't really offered and it wasn't really received. All right, that's where it, If we're saying that real fights involve sin, there needs to be forgiveness for sin that the grace of Jesus needs to come, and real forgiveness means not making them pay for it, not making them earn, your, earn their way back, not belittling them for the next week, not reminding them of it for the next month, not saying a year from now, well, you know, this is the same pattern that you always fall into. All right, that is not how God treats us in Jesus. And forgiveness means, like, you will let it go. You will let it die. It is gone from the east is from the west. That is forgiveness. And that's a big deal. And that's where we don't, and we don't get that by saying, oh yeah, well, well uh, I, I'm sorry about that. 
No, what does it end with? It ends with, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Let's all say that. Will you forgive me? One more time. Will you forgive me? All right, what is you, what's different about that than I am sorry? It's a question. It's a question, and it is, it's a personal interaction. And the reality is, it's like, this person is being asked to not hold this against you anymore and not make you feel guilty and ashamed about it anymore. They're, they're being asked to, to die for your sin and not make you pay, to extend this grace to you. You don't tell people they have to do that. You ask them if they will. And then those who know the grace of Jesus can then give it back and say, you know what, I forgive you. Can we all say that one? I forgive you. One more time. I forgive you. All right, that's how a fight ends. That's how a fight ends. If you've never done that, you've never actually resolved a fight. And some of you have been fighting the same fight for 10 years because it's never done that, and it's just, it's just the same fight day after day, week after week, month after month. You need the gospel. You need real forgiveness for real sin. And we found it in Jesus. Amen? All right. Questions? Questions? Debbie. Right. It's different if you're dealing with someone who's not a believer and is being very abusive. Okay. Yeah, so the question is, um, does this deal with only uh, interactions between believers? I think we'd say that uh, there's a standard of what this would look like for believers because we would expect forgiveness, the same forgiveness that is received, we would then offer, and um, we're called to that in a different way. Um, I would say that as it relates to, to you interacting with another person, not that much should change. Because, like, you are called to love them in the name of Jesus. You are called to, you owe the same things to God, whether they're a believer or a non-believer. Now, I think with the non-believer, we accept that, you know what? They might not forgive. And I may lay my sin on the table, and they might not lay anything down and say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you know that you screwed up here. That's the reality, and that's, that's the reality of what Jesus faced. For a long time, he did that with each of us, and we said, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't need your forgiveness, Get, go away. And that's where it's, it's painful to be a Christian, presenting your sin, asking forgiveness. We should be quick to forgive, we should be quick to to share our sin, but we can't make anyone forgive us. Um, I know we want to say, just don't, don't do this whole thing with non-Christians, but that's just, I don't think that's the reality. Um, it's a painful process to do it with those who, who don't play by the rules, but I think we're still called to play by the rules. Uh. Oh, Floyd, sorry. I don't disagree with anything you 
Good. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, yeah, we want to be very sensitive to the context. This is talking to believers. Right. And that's where... We might see dif- different principles play out with, with non-believers. Yeah. That is a very different example, Floyd. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right. Yeah, you were, you're, you're working with totally different underlying assumptions, and so, yeah, the reality is it might involve... Even explaining what forgiveness is, I know Carrie's been teaching kids in the neighborhood, like, oh, there's this thing called forgiveness, and like, we can give it to each other, and you're like, they don't know that, you know? It's, it's, we take a lot for granted, so. All right. Any other questions? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what do you do when you've, you've asked for forgiveness and it's not granted? Um, that's where we're called to be, live at peace with one another as long as it has to do with you. And that's where, it, that does not then become, I need to manipulate them into forgiving me. No, you, you confess your sin. You don't, you don't owe them any more penance. You don't then treat, treat the cross like, oh, no, like this sin I still need to hang on to because it's not forgiven. Like, no, you've, you've done what you need to do. Now, if it's a really bad offering of forgiveness and you're like, I'm sorry you got hurt by my actions, like, <laughs> I'm sorry you're sensitive, then, like, then maybe there's a reason there. But if you've examined your heart and you're like, I think I offered like, what the real sin was and they didn't accept it, then you're, you're done at that point. Any questions? Blake? Oh, uh, Blake said, uh, would you elaborate on what I mean by you're done at that point? I would say you've done, uh, you've done what you can to offer reconciliation, to, to ask for forgiveness. Um, I don't think that just because that sin hasn't been paid for, that means you, you're breaking off relationship. But you're kind of living with the fracture. <laughs> sure, Teresa. I think at that point you're called to give yourself grace. Uh, 
I'd phrase it differently. I think, I think you're, you're saying the right thing, that you're receiving the grace from Jesus, that sin is forgiven, you're not then held there because yeah. they refuse to offer it. That the, the grace that's offered in Jesus is true grace and not limited by their ability to give it. Camille? <laughs> oh, premarital counseling, here we come. <laughs> this is for a friend, and totally hypothetical. Um, <laughs> it, it really is an ask to do with Dave. I know what it's about. Um, yeah, so do you have, do you, like, you're, you might be called to have a conversation where you're explaining that, like, I, I don't owe to like work off this debt with you, like this, this, this forgiveness should be offered in Christ and not, I shouldn't be punished. Um, you can have that conversation. I think it's true. It might be part of what you owe them in, in Christ um, because their, their lack of forgiveness is, is sin in them that, need, that you want to help them deal with. They might not receive it very well. But that also isn't our responsibility. Randall? <laughs> Group counseling session. <laughs> Go. Okay. Yeah, that's where um, is we're getting kind of like the the larger idea of forgiveness, which is maybe uh, a little much. But um, for larger sins, with Jesus, with Jesus, it's a it's a once and for all, instantly forgiven everything, perfect reconciliation. All right, that's not always the standard for how forgiveness works with human with humans one on one. That Oftentimes, when you're saying, I forgive you, you're saying, I'm committed to this process of forgiveness. And the sin in my heart is going to become resentful, and I need to, I'm responsible now for killing that. And I'm going I'm to get mad at you for the same sin, and I know that's not on you, that's on me. I, I'm still working at forgiveness. We're moving towards reconciliation and con- continually repairing the relationship and committed to the process of reconciliation. What? What? <laughs> We're perfect in Jesus, but not like Jesus. Yeah. Good, yeah. All right. I'm going to pray now. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we have received perfect forgiveness, that we have been reconciled to you, that you don't fight with us because you would, you would crush us, but instead you lay down your life, that you went to the cross, you took the burden, that you, you made it possible to be reconciled to us. And Father, we ask that as much as it concerns us that we be reconciled to others, Father, that you would help us to kill the desires that have become idolatrous and selfish. Father, that we would give to you what is owed, all of the worship and devotion and obedience. But Father, we ask that we we glorify Jesus because we are those who forgive and who are forgiven. Father, help us to fight differently that we may show the world the, the love that we have in you. We pray in Jesus Christ's name.